to pray for you? Well, we don't have to, but please do. Please do. So we will. Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds uh, to receive. Lord, many of us, well, all of us are here specifically, Lord, because we hunger and we thirst after you and we want not to leave this place really just the way we came, even though some of us came here in a good place. God, we are looking to be fed, uh, to be edified, to be corrected, to be changed. And we ask that you would do the work that you have set out to accomplish. And it's going to, um, I know that Dawson's going to participate in that. We ask God that you would just, uh, Lord, uh, fill his mind and his heart and uh, his mouth with uh, the things that are from your heart. And that they would be uh, blessed and anointed and uh, just be freedom in all that he shares. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Dawson. Thank you. Good morning. Can I ask for a glass of water? Thank you. There we go. Well, uh, Gordy, he sent me an email and he said, we're all going to be away, so we need someone to fill in and... I hope I was at the top of the list. I'm not really sure, but he sent it to me and said, uh, uh, you can speak on whatever you want. Um, we're ending our series on how to understand the Bible, and I thought since I don't really understand the Bible, it was probably a good idea not to speak on that. Um, and then the next series is starting next week, and I, I can't remember what it's about, so that's probably a good idea not to speak on that either. Um, but as you can see from the slide up there, uh, walking out of wounding, you can't really see the picture very well, but um, maybe you can see it well enough to guess what it is. Can anyone identify what's going on there? Or is the quality too bad? Um, it's a, a painting from the 18th century of uh, Sodom burning, and Lot and his two daughters uh, on the right-hand side, running away. I don't know who the figure is in the middle. Um, maybe the angel bringing the destruction, I'm not sure. But Lot and his two daughters are fleeing the destruction. Um, maybe the pillar of salt wife, I don't know. Could be, yeah, looking back. Um, not salt quite yet, but... Uh, I wanted to find a picture of a cowboy walking out of a town called Wounding and say, look, there he is walking out of wounding with the picture. It just doesn't exist. So I had to go with what I could find. Um, and I also chose it because um, it resonates with an experience that Leona and I had in December 2002 uh, when we chose to leave our, our old church, our first church together, but more of that later. So a lot of this today is uh, my experience and my story walking out of spiritual abuse. I don't know if you've heard that term before. It kind of sounds like a pastor throwing something at you or, you know, uh, angels attacking you, spiritually abusing you or something strange like that. But it's actually basically emotional abuse inside the church. And I'll explain it a bit more later. But, yeah, fleeing a destructive situation you know, the image kind of brings that to mind. But, um, yeah, before I get into that, I'm going to look at my low-tech guide here. And uh, Gordy wanted me to share a bit about what was going on in my week. 
Um, I'm just going to sit and relax. I'm not going to... Is there a chair, like a stool or anything that we ever use? Okay, so during this week, I don't know if any of you have watched the news, but last Friday, the opposition brought down the government, and there has, there's an election on, on the go. And without getting partisan and everything, Gordy did ask me to share what was going on. I'm involved in the Conservative Party in Van South. And, well, I'll, first I'll give a defense of Christians in politics before I go on about this, because when you bring politics into a church, um, you're just asking for trouble. But I don't mind, so I don't run this church or anything. So <laughs> I'm sure Gordy will deal with it later. But uh, um, basically, you know, some Christians view um, politics and the state as something not to be involved in. You know, you step away from that, and we're a separate entity. We're the Christian church, not to be involved in the world. Take the Amish, different kinds of Mennonites, and such. Now, that's a valid point of view. I disagree with it, but it's valid. Um, it's based on a, a scriptural idea. But, um, you know, my view is that you need to be involved with the world that you're in, and uh, sometimes that in includes politics. So, uh, and so I don't think there's one Christian party out there, the Conservative Party or the NDP, or certainly not the Bloc or anything. Not, there's no Christian party that you need to be a part of. You can do a lot of good in whatever capacity you decide to, uh, to get involved. Uh, in whatever party. You know, if something resonates with you more in the NDP, like housing or poverty, uh, dealing with that, okay, that's fair enough. And I think that we as Christians are mature enough to have a group of people with different political views in one church going after the same goal of a better society. So there's my defense of, um, of politics, um, Christian involvement in politics. But just so you know, <laughs> I chose this picture because I love that cat he has no idea what's going on right fireplace sweater and a cat <laughs> so vote however you like this is obviously not a pro-conservative picture because why would I choose this one he looks so unapproachable to me I just wouldn't want to talk to him in this picture but okay let me get out of here and move on to something else, if I can. There we go. Okay, let me just go way up. Forgive me. Um, so, yeah, I, I mentioned that about politics. Um, to give you um, an example from my week, um, it's kind of hard to describe, but something that happened that brought out certain emotions in me that I hadn't felt for a long time. Um, really difficult emotions. Um, so without getting into too many details, because this is being recorded and everything, I was involved at a fairly high level on the campaign in one of the ridings in the Vancouver area. And um, the um, election's called... Friday, it's official Saturday because Harper goes to the Governor General and by Sunday, it's go time we're involved, you know, we're calling meetings, we're doing everything we can and I sit down at my first meeting I'm kind of inexperienced uh, completely inexperienced let me rephrase that 
And I sit down, I call this meeting, we're going to talk about something, and I say, okay, here's what's going on. And before I can get two words out, there's this guy. Let's just call him Tim, because that's his name. We'll just call him Tim. Um, and uh, he, he looks at me, and he says, well, well, when are we going to get this done? When are we going to get it done? And I said, I don't really know what you're asking me. And I said, well, are we going to get it done at 2 o'clock or 4 o'clock or 12 o'clock tomorrow? <gasps> like, and I just looked around and looked at the candidate. She's there. And I looked at people around me. I said, I don't really know what's going on here. <laughs> and my friend, he's, he's a Jewish guy in his 60s. He looks at him and goes, oh, Tim, just back off. Tim, back off. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. You know, um, back off, Tim. <laughs> so Tim backed off, and uh, we went on with the rest of the meeting, which was kind of a catastrophe. Um, but then the next day, I went in to the campaign office to do some things, and I saw him there, and uh, I started shaking physically. Uh, if you ever ever had a panic attack, that's what I was having: is having panic attacks. Like, just his very presence was enough to shake me up emotionally so that I was having physical reactions to it. Now, I'm a very confident person, very strong, and I can handle people. Someone says, hey, you're an idiot. Okay, well, you're an idiot. I don't really care about you. You know, it doesn't really bother me that much. But So it's tough to get under my skin, but he got right under there. And he reminded me of some things that I've felt before um, dealing with spiritual abuse in the church. Um, public shaming and things like that. That can do a lot of damage. So if you think your words aren't powerful, you know, they can cut a person down pretty quick. Um, so then, yeah, there you go. Um, keep this up here. So I tell you that, just put that to the side. Remember the uh, emotion, if you can, of what I just explained. Put that to the side and sort of carry that feeling with you as I tell my story. Um, so spiritual abuse this sermon's not going to be for all of you some of you would be oh that's, that's a good story you know and I hope that it doesn't apply to all of you but I know from talking with you some of you that it will because a lot of people here have come out of tough experiences difficult church experiences and uh, yeah I, I hope that it speaks to you but you know if you want to define what spiritual abuse is I'm not going to be able to give you one, two, three, four categories. Um, oh, yes, I was abused in category A. Or someone said this to me. That's category C. Um, propositional truth claims are good, but stories convey truth a lot better, I think. That's why Jesus told them a lot. That's why the Bible's written as a story. Uh, and that's why I'm telling my stories, because it's going to convey truth to you a lot better than me saying, you know, this is what it is. Do you fit this category? Um, so... Instead of doing that, I'm going to tell you a bit of a story. One example before the story, and then I'll tell you about uh, our church experience. So the example is this. Picture yourself, what, 19 years old, 18 years old? No, we had to be 20 years old, something like that. Leona and I were about 20 years old, newly engaged, on fire, you know, and... Uh, we go to this church conference at a different church, not our church. We sit down, go through a worship, 
you know, everything's good. Praising the Lord, la di da. And um, it goes with the sermon, fine enough. And then after that, the pastor of the church gets up, you know, cock of the walk, starts giving his prophetic words, you know, and says, um, you know, starts, starts talking like, looking at me, kind of like, I'm going, is he just, is he looking at me? Or like, I've had this feeling before and they're not looking at me, so is he looking at me? And he starts saying stuff like, you know, you women, God's going to give you husbands that are going to care for you, not that are, that are going to walk all over you. <laughs> on and on. And he's, you know, the churches in this city, they're going to, uh, you know, they're all going to come together. It's not just going to be one church. Sorry, Ross. You chose the wrong spot today. <laughs> I haven't seen Ross for a month either, and now he's getting nervous at me. Uh, but uh, this, this pastor knew what church I was from, and he had some issues with my pastor, probably rightly so. But uh, he's bringing all of this stuff in his mind up against Ross. <laughs> so uh, he's, he goes on like this for a little while, and uh, I go, yeah, is this, is this guy really looking at me? Is he looking at me? And at the end of this thing, he goes, yeah, I'm talking to you. How's that feel, Ross? <laughs> yeah. If I were 32 and your size, you bet your booty. But I was 20, wrapped up in this kind of charismania life, and I uh, thought, oh, a prophetic word coming to me, right to me. So I'm like, hello? You know, I, I don't know what to do. Stop dead in my tracks. But um, that's spiritual abuse. Using his not God-given authority to cause destruction in the soul of another person. The gift of prophecy is given for the edification of the church, not for reading someone's mail. Uh, he was reading someone else's mail, too, probably his own. <laughs> reading some junk mail, I don't know. But um, that's what it is. And if you can relate to that, if you can feel a little bit of a, a knot in your stomach about something that you've had, maybe you can relate to it a little bit, too. So, Anyways, story of our church... Um, when I was about 17 or so, started going to a little church in our hometown that shall remain nameless. And uh, our pastor, I won't, I won't get really into it. I don't want to give you a bad idea of, of these people or say, you know, I, I have these bad feelings about them because I, I really don't. Uh, I, I tried searching hard to find this pain and anxiety that I used to feel. And it's just the healing's pretty much done, so it's tough for me to, to bring that up. But as I trace my finger along the scars, uh, it brings back the memories, so, so don't worry about that. But um, Our church was very small. It was a breakaway church from a church plant in Vancouver, and uh, it was in the Okanagan. And um, basically, to make, it, to make a long story short, our pastor was a drug lord, uh, Saved in prison, solitary confinement. Uh, his last drug deal before he was arrested was smuggling six tons of hash from Lebanon to the United States. 
So he wasn't a small-time drug pusher. He was a real drug pusher, a real drug lord. And uh, his salvation experience was quite radical. Saved in solitary confinement. As he would say, a fire burned from the top of my head to the soles of my feet and the cell lit up and I was banging the walls and praising God. And, and yeah, it was real. It was genuine and no exaggeration. Radically saved. But there's a difference between salvation and sanctification and dealing with all of the things he had to deal with. It uh, took a lot of time. And um, when Leona and I were in this church, there were a lot of uh, abuses um, mentally and emotionally, a lot of control, manipulation. Um, but, yeah, as I, as I said, I don't want to start telling a bunch of stories about, about them because it's kind of bad form. And I gave you the one story about that pastor who wasn't my pastor, and I think that, that does it justice enough. Um, this is going to be a short sermon, too, by the way. Um, it's not that short, so don't be that. <laughs> don't, don't, be, don't be too excited. Um, so, you know, I read, I read a couple books about spiritual abuse, and one thing um, about an abusive system is you can't really get out of it. Uh, it's a kind of a church or situation where it's like a black hole. It's kind of invisible to those on the outside, but for those on the inside, it's got an incredible gravity that if you leave, I mean, you're fighting against immense forces emotionally and spiritually to walk out. Um, but oh, we did. Um, when we first went there, it was a church that was very charismatic, very passionate, very rah-rah, big um, uh, worship times and strong preaching times and um, all of that good stuff. And then it became a messianic church, about 2000, something like that, which was really good for a while. But, you know, if you jump on the horse, you don't want to fall off the other side. So they kind of fell off the other side, went a little too too messianic. All the time was spent on Israel and the Torah, and I preached about that a while ago, and so that, that's the way it went, but we um, we made a decision after we got married in 2002 that, okay, we have to, have to move on, and uh, it came to a point where one Sunday evening we're sitting at a restaurant, and I'm just saying, God, I'm so hungry for spiritual food. Please give me something, because I'm just starving to death. Instead of getting fed, I'm, you know, um, just getting uh, abused, right? So I say, God, will you just lead us somewhere, somewhere so we can get a church or something? I don't know. We get in the car, and we drive to a nearby church, and they're having a Sunday night service, and I walk in, and the pastor says, it wasn't a very good sermon, just so you know, but the pastor says, I'm preaching on forgiveness, and I, oh, wow, I know what I need to do. He didn't tell me, but it just became very clear to me what I needed to do. So he preached this sermon. We went home, and I wrote out a little letter. And I read the letter yesterday, and I, wow, things have changed in nine years. It's a lot different now, but I wrote this letter out. And uh, you know, here are the reasons why we cannot be there. And there's this deep, deep anxiety I'm feeling. So... 
uh, I write the letter out and talk with Leona about it. And then I sort of feel the Holy Spirit saying, well, when are you going to do this? When are you going to go and talk to this person, to your pastor? When are you going to do it? Well, I guess, I guess you want me to do it now. So I get in the car and I go and I drive to his house and I get my letter in my hand and I'm walking like this. Oh, you know, walking up to this front door that I've walked to for so many church meetings and, oh, no, I, I can't believe this because of the black hole kind of gravity. And very, it's very, very difficult. It sounds, well, you left the church, big deal. You know, I do that all the time. <laughs> well, no, that's a problem. Um, uh, this is more like leaving a cult. To be very blunt, the emotional um, play-by-play is very similar. So I'm walking up there, heavy footfalls, heaviness all over me. I got my letter, and I knock on the door, you know. And I'm hoping that it's one of his daughters or something coming to the door. But he comes to the door, opens it up, and he's in a great mood. I'm like, oh, no, couldn't you be in a depression? You know, so he's, oh, hi, Dawson, how are you doing? (laughs) Oh, good, good, good. Here's a letter. And he takes it and he goes, oh, what's this? <laughs> I said, uh, uh, I'll give you a call within the week. And all of a sudden, is this a letter of departure? Uh, I'll give you a call within the week. <laughs> okay, okay. And so anyways, I gave him a call within the week and we sat down with them and talked with them and you know, listen to what they had to say for about two hours, and uh, we didn't we didn't say much. But at the end of it, they said, um, "So, was there anything that you know you wanted to wanted to say?" I said, "Oh, yeah, you know, like I said in in the letter, you know, if we see each other at at um, the mall or walking down the street, I don't want it to be like a, a strange meeting. You know, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're friends." And it's, we're in the same kingdom together. So, you know, if we meet each other, I don't want there to be any strange anxiety or animosity, basically. And then there was dead silence. And the pastor's wife says, oh, well, I thought from the letter that you were just planning on leaving. And so I go, oh, I had the letter in my back pocket, opened it up, looked through the pages. I said, I don't know how you got that impression. And then my pastor's body language just changes. Goes, ah. Walks out the door like, okay, that one's done. Lost two of them. Oh, well. Move on with the rest who are still here. After six years of giving my life to that church, uh, there was a point for a number of years probably, I was there six days a week. Or six, six meetings a week. And you can think, how can a church have that many meetings a week? Well, we can make it happen. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, small group, Thursday night, men's meeting, Friday night, young adults, and Saturday night, church set up. Constantly, my whole life, giving to this church. And then, oh, well, he's done. One tither gone. You know, one giver gone. Oh, well. So we walked away, and after that journey ended, a whole new journey began. The journey of forgiveness. So, the reason I chose to speak about this is not because I need some kind of 
therapeutic, you know, let's get it out finally. You know, <laughs> let's tell people about this. I'm not feeling that at all. Um, it's about forgiveness and reconciliation and freedom and healing and what that means for us and for me. Um, there are a lot of misconceptions about it. So I think first things first, I'm going to open up the Bible a bit and, um, and talk about forgiveness first. So if you have a Bible, Matthew six, fourteen. No, thanks, Luke. This is right after the Lord's Prayer. It's probably the most challenging verse on forgiveness in the Bible. And I'm reading from the King James. So if you go, I don't know what all the these and thous mean. Well, they mean you. That's what they mean. <laughs> oh, now it's sorted out. So, okay. Um, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And then Colossians 3.13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against anyone else, even as Christ forgave you, so you should do. That wasn't King James. That was my paraphrase. And finally, my favorite verse on forgiveness, Luke 23, 34. This is when Jesus Christ, our Savior, is being nailed to the cross by Roman soldiers who are just doing their job. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then after he prayed that, they parted his garments and cast lots for them. So, before we move on to reconciliation and all of that, I want to say a few words about forgiveness, what it is and isn't. Um, some of those passages have been used and abused. Uh, forgive as Christ forgave you, for example. We'll take that as, oh, well, I'll forgive someone else just like Christ forgave me. I admit of my sin, and then Christ forgave me. So as soon as they admit their sin towards me, as soon as they acknowledge what they've done, well, then I'll forgive them. Has anyone heard that teaching? I'm glad you haven't, because I have. Um, that's a false teaching. Because of the second or the third verse I read, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The people who have wounded you and wounded me probably have very little idea that they've done it. Uh, and even if they do, I mean, the Roman soldiers, they were quite aware that they were nailing a man to a cross. But did they know it was a son of God? Probably not until the earth shook. Um, that's a dead giveaway. Forgiveness needs to be in our hearts 
towards all who have wronged us. We can't uh, hold them prisoner and hold ourselves prisoner by uh, keeping some kind of list. Well, he abused me sexually. Well, my wife said this to me. My parents said this. If you knew my situation, then you would understand why I'm keeping myself a prisoner in unforgiveness. Um, there's a doorway out, and it, it involves admitting that they have wronged us. So, okay, first thing about forgiveness, or maybe not the first thing, but you need to know this about forgiveness too. It's not excusing anyone's sin. It's acknowledging that it's sin. Uh, if you've noticed, as I've been talking, I haven't said, well, that pastor who, you know, did that to me, well, he probably had some, some reasons, you know, maybe his childhood wasn't very good, and, and I understand. I don't care about the reasons or the childhood or any reason at all. That was wrong what he did, and I forgive him because there's no point in me holding him hostage, and there's no point in doing that either. Um, yet the scariest verse that we read there about um, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven, and if you do forgive, you will be forgiven, that's obviously not saying we're going to earn God's forgiveness by forgiving other people. But forgiving other people is a necessary fruit of the root of God's grace in our life. If we cannot forgive those people who have wronged us, well, the grace of God needs to be at work more deeply. And we pray that that can happen. Um, reconciliation. I don't have any verses about this. Most of the verses about reconciliation in the Bible are about God's reconciliation to humanity. And the verses that deal with human beings, and there are lots. Love one another, treat one another like this. I could sit and read Ephesians to you if you like, uh, or half of Romans, but... I won't. The idea is, you know, treat one another well. But reconciliation between two people, uh, I want to say that it doesn't have to happen. You don't have to reconcile with everybody. There are some people who are toxic people. You know, some of the people I described, um, the pastor who's pointing at me, I don't have to, you know, have some picnic with him and you know, oh, well, now we're friends. This is what Jesus wants. Well, maybe he doesn't. Jesus didn't really relate well to the Pharisees because of their sin. So why should we be expected to relate well to everybody because of or in spite of their sin? So I don't want to give the wrong impression about this. But um, sometimes people don't want to get to know you. Sometimes they don't really care. And that's something you got to live with. Um, here, I'll give a couple examples. When Leona and I went to uh, YWAM in 2005, this is three years after we had left our, our old church, I was excited. And I'm, oh boy, I'm going to Hawaii. This is great. And going to YWAM too. But Hawaii was sort of more on my mind. It was the middle of the winter, so you see, you're not perfect. <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I got excited, and I started calling people, and some of the people from my old church, I, I called them up and said, hey, guess what? We're, we're going to YWAM. And a couple of them are like, oh, that's great, you know. But one guy I called up, I said, hey, we're going to go to YWAM in January. We're going to Hawaii. And he said, oh, or are you going to teach them all of the messianic truths? I said, um, no. 
No, I was going to go and learn, actually. And he said, oh, well, blah, 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 and started an argument with me. So, you know, he didn't, he didn't want that reconciliation that I was offering. So not everyone's going to take it. You know, another guy from that church, I called him up, and I had found out that, that he had left, and I remember the pain that I felt when I had left, all the hurt, all the anger, all the anxiety and resentment. By the way, I had to work through it. That's a good thing to say. It took me three or four years of working through it, writing it out, dealing with this, talking it out ad nauseum with my friends to go, okay, okay, I figured, okay, that's forgiveness. Okay, that was wrong. Yes, let's talk about that again until it's done. I had to work through it. It takes a long time sometimes. If you don't work through it, you're going to die with it because that's, it doesn't go away <laughs> unless you deal with it. So anyways, I called another guy and he had left the church and I said, uh, well, I won't use his name because some of you will know him. <laughs> Amanda was part of this church. Amanda was deeply involved. Uh, Leona, Amanda, myself, and... Um, yes. Sort, yeah. Um, so I called him up, and I said, Hey, brother. Let's call him brother. That's not his name. I said, Brother, what's going on? You know, I heard this that you left. Or Are you Okay. You know, I'm genuinely concerned, putting out the hand of reconciliation. And he said, oh, we're, we're fine. We're just following Messiah. We're just, we're just following Messiah. I said, okay. Yeah, I, I, know, I know you're following Messiah, but, um, you know, is there anything, you know, that I can do, offer some prayer or support? Because I remember when I went through it, it was really difficult and, I'm not sure what you're looking for. We're just following Messiah. So, <laughs> okay, you're following Messiah. I'm glad. You know, I don't, I'm extending the hand of grace and it's getting pushed back. And that's sometimes the way it is. Okay, well, I'll let my peace remain upon me and you can have what you have. We don't have to be best friends. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, The last conversation I had with my, uh, my pastor was probably six months ago, four months ago. I s- kind of stay in contact, call him up, say, how are you doing? Extend the hand of reconciliation. It gets slapped back. Okay, not too well. I'll talk to you later. Try another year later. Write a letter maybe two years after that. You know, it's just you don't have to do that if, you don't, if it's really painful and toxic. But if there's genuine healing and forgiveness in your own heart, it's... It's not a bad idea, but I called him up. I, actually, I found a, a teaching tape, yes, a tape, um, that I couldn't play because we don't have a tape player, and it was a significant sermon that he had preached, and I thought, oh, maybe he'd like to have a look at this, so sent it in a package up to him, said, here's this tape, maybe you'd like it, and here's my phone number, give me a call if you ever feel like it. So a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call, and he said, um, oh, I got your package in the mail. And we're on better terms now. And I said, oh, good, good. I was wondering why you sent it to me. Sort of suspicious. And I'm like, uh, it's your property. It's not mine. <laughs> Maybe you would enjoy walking down memory lane. Maybe you would like to do something else with it. I don't really know. He said, oh, I've, th- I've thrown out a lot of those tapes. You know, things are different now. And I said, oh, Okay. And uh, we talked for about 15 minutes, and he said about, you know, I went to Europe, I had a trip with my wife, and 
oh, that's great. I'd love to go to Europe and, you know, a genuine conversation. So there was a, a modicum of reconciliation that was taking place. But then at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, Dawson, a lot of people in our community are thinking 2017 is the year to watch the return of the Messiah. I said, oh, okay. So, and then he said, but you know, if, if you ever need any help during the tribulation, you can give us a call. So what do you do with that? You take it for what it is, you know? Sometimes we write out a script of how things should be in our minds, and reality is uncooperative, and it's always going to be that way. So, you know, I've shared this story, and um, it applies probably to some of you more than others, and I hope it's helped a bit. If you, if, if you have a feeling like, ah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I've had this experience, and I can't deal with it. Um, it could be 30 years later. It could be 20 years later. It could be 35 years later. It doesn't really matter how long it is. If you're going, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. Different things in your past. Um, you can talk to me uh, or to someone else because you need to talk about it. Um, I have some books that I can recommend and um, strategies I can recommend. You can pray together. You can pray for someone um, or pray with someone that you know. But um, as for me and my sermon, it is over. <laughs>